Hello, chefs, and welcome to another episode of the Bake Like a Chef podcast. This is Chef Matt. You can call me Chef. You can call me Matt. You can call me Chef Matt. I will respond to any of those proudly. And today we are talking about meringues. This is the second episode on meringues. Meringue episode number two, where we will talk about ratios, methods, and additions. Hey, chefs, welcome to the second meringue episode of the Bake Like a Chef podcast. In the last episode, we talked quite a bit about meringues. And in this portion, we're going to get a little more deeply into the details. Uh, I wanted to segment this part out because it is fairly detailed and speaks to some depth in the meringue making process that uh, felt a little heavy for the last episode. So I segmented out into this episode. This is the second meringue episode. We're going to talk a little more in depth about process. We're going to talk a little more in depth about ratio. So last week we talked about basic methods of meringues. Uh, Those are the types, the Swiss, French, and Italian types of meringues. You know, we refer to them as methods. We talked about basic ratios and the characteristics of the ratios. So the characteristics of the meringue that might come out of that ratio. Uh, We talked about uses for your yolks that you did not use when making your meringue. Uh, and we talked about the the no-fat rule, so that idea that you need to keep your bowl clean, you need to keep all of the yolks out of your whites. And, you know, as we mentioned, as you learn, you want to adhere to those. But there's some good information out there that might speak to how you can be flexible in that space. Today, as I mentioned, we're talking about ratios and a fair amount of depth. And we'll talk about methods and a fair amount of depth. And I'll dig into some things toward the end, like coloring, flavoring, etc. So to get started, I wanted to recap a little bit about ratios and the simple fact that as you get higher in sugar, there's a point where it helps to make a Swiss meringue or an Italian meringue because it allows you to dissolve or liquefy your sugar ahead of time using a French meringue and hoping to incorporate granulated sugar, hoping that that granulated sugar will dissolve through process can be a bit challenging when you get into the, the high sugar to white ratio recipes. Um, But it suits itself really well for some of the low ratio recipes. So ones where you're making like pancakes or you're making waffles, you're making a mousse. Um, A standard French meringue is really great for those um, for a number of reasons. One is oftentimes in those recipes, you are going to sterilize those eggs or sanitize those eggs or otherwise kill most of the germs in those eggs simply by cooking it. You know, you, you heat pancakes and waffles to a certain temperature you will uh, bake a cake to a certain temperature. And there's really no reason. And and because you're putting such a low amount of sugar in there, the sugar is not going to take care of preserving it. The sugar is a, is a preservative. And that's why confections last as long as they do on the shelf. So you're in this position where you have little sugar, a lot of water, and um, ultimately, unless your egg whites are super clean, new, not infected with anything, and you're not using alcohol or something else, there's no reason to worry about not using a French meringue at this point. Frankly, a Swiss meringue or an Italian meringue would be a little excessive because they're extra dishes, extra time, extra process, where if you just throw your whites in a bowl, get them beating, and then add your sugar, and you're done, right? No extra steps, no extra cleanup. Oh, and, and then in contrast, when you get up to 
some of the confections or the high-ratio Italian meringues, there's a lot of sugar to incorporate, and it's hard to incorporate granular sugar when you get up into these high ratios. And so it's good to find a way to liquefy your sugar or otherwise dissolve it. A Swiss meringue is great for that because you dissolve your sugar in your whites ahead of time, and then you whip them. Uh, And an Italian meringue is great because you bring that sugar to the salt ball, 245 degrees, and it's already a liquid sugar at that point. So it incorporates a lot more easily into your whites. Um, And the, the other thing we discussed about ratio was simply that at a lower ratio where you're using very little sugar to egg white, the grain, the bubble of the meringue is more variant. It's a bigger bubble. And toward the top, so towards the confection space of the Italian meringue with a high ratio, that your bubble becomes very small and very consistent. Um, towards the high ratio, the meringue is a lot creamier. Toward the low ratio, it's a lot more um, gritty and foamy. And uh, one more thing about that is that towards the top of the ratio, so high ratio, it's more shelf stable. It is more stable as it sits on the counter. So it's a meringue that you could potentially leave sitting for a little bit without worrying about it becoming rigid, becoming firm, and setting like you would in a French meringue with a low ratio. If you leave those French meringues at low ratio sitting for a few minutes, they can become rigid, they can start to weep liquid, they can cause problems, they don't fold well, they fold less like a creamy meringue and more like cottage cheese. So just something to be mindful of when you're thinking about ratio. So I just wanted to run through a list of ingredients or components and give you some examples of ratio and how it differs from item to item. And this is all by weight. So starting at the bottom here, there's some mousses that are at a one to five ratio, sugar to egg whites. And that's very low. It's just a little bit of sugar. And often that's used to just help add the correct body to the whites and incorporate sugar at the same time. Oftentimes in a, in a mousse like that, there might be a little portion of sugar incorporated elsewhere. Maybe it's in the chocolate. Moving up into some of the denser cakes, you have the soccer tort, which is a one to three or one to four ratio of sugar to egg whites. And then above that is actually the souffle, or in that same space is is a particular type of souffle, has a very similar ratio. And as you continue, uh, we have pancakes and waffles. It's about a a one to two ratio of sugar to egg whites. And there are actually a few mousses in that space as well. Um, Lemon meringue uh, with a French meringue sometimes is made with this ratio, a one to two sugar to egg white ratio. And now you're starting to get up into some of the more light sponges or cake sponges. So ladyfingers are at about a two to three ratio of sugar to whites. Chiffon cake is in that space a little bit higher. Swiss meringue, buttercream, suddenly we're jumping up in a ratio of three to two. So suddenly the sugar is higher than the egg whites. Swiss meringue, buttercream, Swiss meringue um, are about the same. Even some of the low ratio Italian meringues are in that space. The ratio for Shibusta is about that as well. So now we're moving up in a two to one ratio. We're talking about Italian buttercreams, common French meringue, Swiss meringue, Italian meringue. Remember that basic meringue formula I provided two to one. All of these uh, base meringues fall into that space. And and an Italian meringue can actually get up a lot higher, it'll be at two and a half to one, where you have a fair amount of sugar in your meringue. And you can see as we move up through these, as I suggested, you know, the, the bubble's getting smaller, it's getting more consistent, it's getting denser, it's getting creamier. 
and we'll jump up now into some of the confection. So I have Montalmar here with a 14 to 1 ratio of sugar to egg white. I have Divinity with an 8 to 1 ratio of sugar to egg white. And you can see as things get denser, as they get harder, as they get crispier, the sugar ratio really shoots up. And that makes a lot of sense, right? When you get um, cooked sugar, it's very firm, it's solid. Egg whites are rubbery and bubbly and soft. And the sugar really adds that consistency, adds that body to the meringue. And you can now see, like on this continuum, starting with the meringue for a soccer tort, which is really delicate, moving up through a one for a chiffon cake, which is starting to get a little body to it through all of your standard meringues and buttercream meringues where they have a nice, creamy, smooth consistency. And now up through your heavier Italian meringues and even so far as getting up into the the confections where it's a really nice, consistent, tiny bubble that eventually hardens or gets chewy. This all exists on a continuum. And so if you one day said, well, you know, this Italian meringue is a little too consistent, it's a little too sweet, you know, you can dial it down to a two to one ratio. You might even dial it down to a 1.7 to one ratio of sugar to egg white if you wanted to try it out and adjust it a bit. Or you may say at that point, well, gosh, I want to go for a Swiss meringue. I want to try that instead. But ultimately, with this ratio of sugar to egg white, you now have the power to build what you want. And you know what's going to happen if you move in certain directions. Then you know that certain ones work better than others at certain ratios. So that Swiss meringue started at that one and a half to one ratio of sugar. Anything below that might be problematic. You might cook your eggs like I did the first time I tried to make a Swiss meringue. Um, and as you get higher towards that Italian meringue, you might find that it's hard to dissolve all the sugar. You end up with a meringue that has lots of sugar crystals in it. But just keep that in mind as you're formulating things. As you're learning, I would use a formula and just watch for it. Look at the ratio. Say, gosh, what's the ratio of meringue to sugar here? And think about it and think about what the meringue looks like when you're making it and think about how it impacts the thing you're making. And it will simply help you understand how that meringue is supporting you. So the other thing I wanted to talk through were the basic methods. And I'm going to go through these rote. And I'll do them one at a time. And I'll start with the Swiss meringue. And then I'll do the French and Italian because they're, they're similar, even though one is a little more complex. So with the Swiss meringue, you're going to weigh your sugar, you're going to weigh your egg whites, you're going to put them in a bowl and stir them and mix them, and you're going to put them in a bain-marie, and you are going to stir them over the heat of the bain-marie until it gets to about 140 to 165 degrees. Anything over 165, it might actually start to cook. Um, that's the high end of the temperature I've seen. 140 is what I was taught, but anywhere in that range should be fine. I would follow your formula at first and then follow that as best practice. Once the sugar is dissolved and the egg whites uh, are up to temperature, you simply throw that on your stand mixer turn it on high and let it beat until it's done. And typically, if you're in that two to one ratio of sugar to egg whites, you'll have a fairly stable meringue at that point. For the French meringue, you weigh your whites and your sugar, you throw your whites in the, the bowl of the mixer and you beat it until it starts to form a yellow foam and you can actually see lines being left in the foam behind the beater. So they're forming, but they're not necessarily holding. And then what you do is you start to add your sugar gradually. And what you're hoping to do is time it so that it starts after that point that I just described with those tracks being left in the egg white foam. Keep adding that sugar, finishing your sugar a minute 
before you've reached your desired peak. And what that allows is that allows for that granular sugar to be incorporated in a meaningful way, in an effective way. It allows for you to incorporate that granular sugar fully and have it dissolve fully. And it should leave you a little space to take the bowl off and finish it by hand so that you don't break your meringue. If this is a large mixer, you'll just have to time it effectively. And most likely, if you're working on a large commercial mixer, someone will be training you. But just keep that in mind that you want to finish the sugar about a minute before you've reached your desired peak. And you could go for 30 seconds as well. But the idea is you want the sugar to be in there and dissolving as it's continuing to beat, but before it definitely reaches its desired peak. And that's important because you want the sugar to dissolve, but you don't want to break your meringue in your attempt to dissolve the sugar. An Italian meringue is just like a French meringue. There's one exception, and that is you cook your sugar ahead of time. Instead of using granular sugar, you're using cooked sugar. So you weigh your sugar, weigh your eggs, put your eggs in the bowl, put it in the mixer, put the beater in there. Take your sugar, put it in a pot, put some water in it, form a sandy paste, and go through your cooked sugar method. You want to get it to soft balls, about 240, 245 degrees, and you want to time this fairly well. So I would say once you're in that 225 range, you probably want to have your mixer on. And all of this will vary depending on the amount of egg you have and the size of your mixer. But if this is just a home stand mixer, it shouldn't be too difficult to time. It only takes a little bit of time for those egg whites to get to that proper stage. But you get the, the mixer going with the whip and you're beating your egg whites to the point where they are getting close to that yellow foam and maybe a little bit beyond and then you start to drizzle your cooked sugar in there now remember you have your egg whites at that very perfect state where it's starting to leave tracks and starting to move close to soft peaks and your cooked sugar is landing on 245 degrees on the stove and you have to time that fairly well but once you get that down and you have them like that as i mentioned you start drizzling the sugar in a nice steady stream nice slow steady stream and you want it to hit right between the beater and the bowl. So if you hit the bowl, it's going to stick to the bowl. It's not going to incorporate into your meringue. If you hit the beater, it's going to throw the sugar into the side of the bowl. It's going to stick to the bowl, and it's not going to incorporate in your meringue. You want to hit that spot right between the two, and it can be fairly difficult navigating around the head of the mixer, the edge of the bowl, so on and so forth. But with practice, you'll get it, and you'll, you'll start to see where you need to hold your pot and how you need to tilt it and how the sugar flows out of it. So you drizzle all that in. Nice, steady stream until all of the sugar is poured from the pot. If there's stuff sticking to the side of the pot, let it go. Uh, hopefully you've timed it just right so that the sugar's not cooling on the side of the pot and uh, it's pouring nicely, but you will potentially leave some behind. And then you just want to whip that to your desired peak. And it could be soft peak, medium peak, stiff peak, whatever that desired peak is. If it is a very high ratio Italian meringue, you are most likely going to go for stiff peak a high ratio Swiss meringue, you're most likely going for a stiff peak. But whip it until it's desired peak, pull it off the beater, or pull it out of the mixer and use it how you intended to use it. I'll include some images of soft, medium, and stiff peak on the website just so you can see them, and I'll give you some indications as to how you would know if you were successful or not. Um, so those are, the, those are the methods, and those are pretty straightforward. You should see those pretty consistently everywhere. There may be some nuance to them that shifts from side to side, but if you can remember those, which you will after you start making meringues, you won't forget this, um, 
they'll serve you fairly well. So now you have this flexibility of choosing technique. You have this flexibility of choosing ratio of sugar to egg white. And you can push through just about any meringue that you want. There's only one more thing that I wanted to present today, and that is coloring and flavoring. And I'll be frank, I typically, as a principal, only use natural coloring and natural flavoring. Uh, the flavoring is the area where I might shift a bit. I try not to color things with artificial color in my work. That doesn't mean you can't. That doesn't mean you shouldn't. It's just my way of working. And in meringues, when adding color, you have to make the same considerations. If it's a delicate meringue that has a low ratio, could break easily, you need to add it just at the right time. Oftentimes when you're doing cookies and stuff like that, people will often use a water-based coloring and they'll decorate the bag and they'll put the meringue in and then that color will come out on the surface of the meringue as they're piped. Um, but if you need to color the whole thing, you know, just keep in mind to add it just after you've finished adding your sugar. If you add it too late, it might create streaks and you may have to beat it extra. You may break your meringue. It could cause all sorts of problems, but I would add it just after your sugar was done being added for a French meringue and even for an Italian meringue about the same time. For flavoring, it's a little different. So when it comes to flavoring, I'm going to think about, I think of it two ways. One is concentrated flavoring and the other is what I'm going to call our chunks. So if it's water-based, I would always follow the same rule. Towards the end, per the recipe, just early enough so that it will incorporate, but not so late that it doesn't get mixed in. With oil-based or chunks, I tend to fold it in. So if you're trying to make an almond meringue and you want whole almonds in there, fold them in at the end. Leave your meringue so that it is not at its uh, destination peak. So if you want a stiff meringue, you might want to stop somewhere between soft and medium, maybe at medium, and fold nuts in, fold any other fold ends in, anything that's chunky. But you have to consider the agitation. Now again, for a Swiss meringue, or a high-ratio Swiss meringue, or high-ratio Italian meringue, this may not be as important because they're fairly stable and they're already fairly unbreakable but for the French meringue, especially low ratio, you have to be mindful of this. So any agitation you do after you're done beating is going to continue to work it and potentially break it. And so what I would say is if you need to fold something in or use oil-based additions. So I, I consider nuts to be oil-based additions because they're full of nut oils and they begin to break down your meringue. You want to put it in as late as possible, but not so late that you're going to break your meringue while folding it. So that's how I would group those. Now, I'm, I'm going to leave something at the end here, that if you're in a production facility, they're going to train you. You know, you can experiment in a stand mixer and give it time. But if you're in a professional facility, a production facility, they're going to train you on all this. But I think it's good to know it ahead of time so that you can watch how things go. And if they, if they do something different, you can ask them, say, hey, you're doing something differently than, I'm, than I know. And maybe they'll explain it to you. Maybe they'll simply say, oh, that's, that's how we do things here. And you can add that to your skill set. So I hope this was an interesting episode. I'm really excited about it because I think there's something very empowering about what we've gone over today. And I hope that you take this and make something interesting and delicious for your customers and for yourself. So if you happen to make a meringue, let us know by tagging us or posting on our social media channels at We Bake Like Chefs on both Twitter and Facebook and at Bake Like a Chef on Instagram. Post a photo of your meringue, post a photo of what you make, 
tag us on it. Let us know that you are doing great things with your knowledge. Um, we'll look forward to it. The reason we're here is to help support you in growing as pastry chefs and bakers. And it really helps us when we can see you succeed. So just make a point of getting out there, posting your content, posting your images and tagging us in it. Maybe you can tag with the type of meringue as a hashtag French meringue, hashtag Swiss meringue. If you do something with your yolks, hashtag use your yolks, but let us know that you're baking. And thanks for being here and we will catch you next time.